Hello, this is Dominic Furston, your host of 12 Geniuses. I have the incredible job of interviewing geniuses from around the world about the trend shaping the way we live and work. Today's guest is Australian futurist Ross Dawson. Last year, he joined us to discuss the future of social media. In this episode, Ross talks about some of the trends he's following closely, including the polarization of our attention, artificial intelligence, smart glasses, and brain-computer interfaces. The 12 Geniuses Futurist Friday episodes are brought to you exclusively by The Star Conspiracy. The Star Conspiracy is a B2B marketing agency for innovative brands creating the future of workplace solutions. Reach out at thestarconspiracy.com for more information or to schedule a chat with the team. Ross, welcome back to 12 Geniuses. Fantastic to be on the show. Yeah, excited to have you back. What are some of the sources that you would recommend for our listeners to tune into in order to become better futurists and visionaries for their organizations? One of the things which I look for, and I think a lot of other people look for, is what, what are the framing ideas about how we should be thinking about the world? And then you might dig into some of the details. Say, all right, well, let's dig into... Uh, what's happening with AI or what's happening with the uh, you know, US-China relationships or so on and on a more specific level. But there's those framing ideas around that. So some, some of the books I'm reading, which I think uh, I, I'm finding particularly interesting for, for my interest, one, one is, is one of those ideas around framing ideas is The Beginning of Infinity by David Deutsch, which is, I suppose, very uh, getting a lot of traffic and discussion, I suppose, at the moment. And it's it's a way of framing who we are. What the beginning of the infinity is saying, you know, we are as a human race at the beginning of being able to create infinity. And this is a, it's pretty heavy going, I think, for a lot of people, but it is a very thought provoking and I think a very positive. And, uh, you know, this is a big frame. It's not keeping across all of the details of what's happening. It's a way of thinking about the future. And I think there's other books like that are really important and relevant. And so I'm delving into more bio, biological topics at the moment. So part of what I'm digging into is epigenetics. So I read a foundational book called The Epigenetics Revolution by Nessa Kari. Well written, really nice grounding in terms of providing some nice analogies and understanding what epigenetics is and providing some bit more detail for those who want to go there. There's The Genesis Machine by Amy Webman, Andrew Hess, I think it is, which, which is a, a nice good grounding of synthetic biology. And which yeah, I think is an important topic uh, these days. You know, another another book which you know again for, to my interest, uh, Superminds by Thomas Malone is around this framing of how it is that we can aggregate human thinking and human and machine thinking. So these are all you know ones which I think are particularly relevant for diving. And and I think what the the other key point to make is around. Our sources should be looking around us as we walk around in the streets. It's not media sources necessarily. We just limit ourselves to looking at our screen to understand the world. We're not going to understand the world. My book, Thriving on Overload, is coming out in September. It frames this idea of sources. But it's not saying, okay, these are the sources you go to. It's like saying, these are the categories of sources. And this is the way we should frame our attention. This is where we allocate our, our attention at different times of day to build a composite of ways of thinking about the world as well as insights into what is happening and you know inputs into our framing and our thinking. I find that when I consume information or get exposed to information that runs contrary to my beliefs, that's when I learn more. And more and more, we don't do that. And I'm just curious if you have a practice for 
searching out for information that might contradict your beliefs or what you think you know? Well, there's many pieces to that. That is really central to our effectiveness in thinking is to be able to do that. So one of the first is to be aware of surprises. So anything that is surprising to you should be interesting. Anything which is not surprising is, you know, essentially it's obviously confirmation, confirming whatever thing. So, so there is a, you know, a signal that we can use and look for. Second aspect is shifting to probabilistic thinking. So rather than having a conviction, this is what I think, I think, I think this is likely, or I think this is very likely, or I think it might be likely. And that means that it opens you to thinking more, uh, you know, being able to say, well, this, I might or may not be right in what I'm thinking, but either way, I'm looking for what it is that will change my probability around this. Ah, this is confirming evidence on the fact that it might be 90% or disconfirming that it is. And so this starts to be rather than saying, I have beliefs and they're confirmed or disconfirmed, is that, you know, this, these are theses that have probabilities. And I think that's, that's helpful as well. And the, and the other thing is, is just always just this habit of trying to find different perspectives on any, any issue, any controversial issue, and trying to examine what the foundation of each of those is so in order to be able to make your own opinion. As a futurist, you get exposed to a lot of different ideas, uh, new technology news, things of that nature. And sometimes some of that stuff must seem like science fiction or seem like it can't be true. So what is the process for vetting the sources that you are consuming? So well, one of the first things is I have this pretty unshakable habit of going back to source. And I think that is one of the most powerful, the most important things we can do is whenever you see anything is go and find what's the source of that is. And then tell them what the source of that is until you finally get to somewhere and where it came from. And one of the, <clears throat> uh, it's, it's very instructive because you can't tell you how many times you see something interesting and you go back and say, oh, actually, no, that's not what it said. <laughs> or there is no source or whatever. It's just you, you get into these all these dead ends and say, well, as far as I can tell, this was made up. And so that's the first thing is you go back to source. And so pretty quickly you get into uh, the academic literature. And fortunately, we've got some great uh, academic research uh, tools now, and you can go in and, and those all give you citations. So you can see anything, what all of its references and all of the, the articles that cited that source. So this starts to be a tool where you can explore, uh, different opinions. And, you know, one of the, one of the uses of Wikipedia on some subjects is that it does often provide multiple perspectives, uh, for example, on you know, theories or individuals or so on. And it's, um, and, you know, there are other ways you can, you know, use different searches to be able to find what different opinions are. You might find something, oh, this is really compelling. All right, what do other people think about this? And find, well, and, and are those people that I might respect their opinion of? And going back. So you're always getting as many perspectives as possible. What is a social trend that you're following closely right now that you find fascinating? So one of the, the broadest 
trends that I've been following for, well, as long as I can remember, is, is polarization. And th that has obviously multifaceted across wealth, across income, across politics, around social attitudes, around uh, access to healthcare, around access to education. But one of the ways in particular is the polarization of our attention. And this, this actually goes a little bit to our previous conversation where <clears throat> there's, a, there's a, a raft of books out which, you know, there's the, the Shallows by Nicholas Carr and there's the, uh, the Mind Change by Susan Greenfield and um, there's another one by Andrew Keane, I uh, can't remember the name, and, and you know, lots of others, um, which basically saying technology is making us dumb. <laughs> it's making us stupid. And the, there's a lot to question in those books in well in terms of the, again the specifics of going back to sources and uh, examining the the theses and so on but i think we all think that there's a hint of a, a truth in there and well, i think there is real dangers in the fragmentation of attention of teenagers in just the everyday use of social media and that long-term impact on their ability to focus. I think that that is something we should be genuinely concerned about. But the, with, you know, again, without making this into a technology scare, because, you know, there's, there's, there's obviously the, there's values from the, the connection from all those and so on. But on the other side, I see that there are some people who are being deeply focused, are getting from this wealth of information we have, uh, better resources than ever before to deepen their thinking, to make better decisions, to advance their careers, to become experts, to build world-class companies. <clears throat> so this polarization or this divide in attention and ability to focus and improve our cognition or improve or, or, uh, or essentially decay our evolution, I think is potentially a massive dividing uh, schism in society and so that's one which i'm tracking closely as much as close as i can what's a technology trend that you're following closely pretty obviously i'm following ai and particularly it's in which domains it is you know matching or exceeding human performance but probably the more distinctive one is is that i've always focused on you know what i call interfaces the way in which humans interface with technology and two uh, ones in particular are smart glasses and brain-computer interfaces. So smart glasses has you know, been very slow, uh, a lot, lot slower than we've expected. And you know, the, you know, the summary is that in the next two years, you know, without, well, we'll finally have uh, Apple release its smart glasses. Facebook is working on some, which is again pushed out as just as pushing out 2024. Google actually is yeah, there's still an enterprise space in smart glasses, but those will be coming out. And so that that's one thing. It's one of those things where it is going to be significant, but how significant we can't know until people start using them. You know, when we can start to, for those people that already wear glasses, that they're able to add uh, augmented uh, reality capabilities to them. 
I think that will start to those, you know, in some period of time, whether, you know, a large portion of people who wear glasses will add uh, augmented reality capabilities. One of the bigger questions is the people who don't wear glasses, when or in which situations might they use uh, augmented reality glasses? Or, you know, and obviously in the long term, augmented reality contact lenses where there is the technology is advancing. And in the brain computer interfaces, that's, you know, you know, one of the ones where, of course, it changes the nature of who we are as humans when we can actually interface who we are with directly with technology. So, this, yeah, everyone's talked about Neuralink because of Elon Musk, but that's not necessarily the most interesting game in town. There's been a lot of really good initiatives before then. There's a lot of interesting ones. Just a few weeks ago, Synchron uh, announced a uh, an insert, you know, in a probably a, a slightly um, more accessible way of um, accessing brain. And, th and these are all at the moment all being used for people who have impaired functionality, uh, quadriplegic, uh, paraplegics, and so on to assist them in things, but ones where at some point, uh, unimpaired humans will choose to adopt them. So this is, there's, you know, quite a long way to play out still on brain computer interfaces, or, or rather invasive non uh, brain computer interfaces. So the non invasive ones, I think there's interesting ones. And, and I think one of the most fascinating news items of the last uh, six months was that a company called Nextmind, a French company, which uh, has a basically a headband which allows you to um, control computer games and your know, screens with your mind was acquired by Snap. So, which where obviously speculation that Snap with its augmented reality glasses, uh, speaking of, um, could integrate those into integrate the technology into that so that we could actually think to control our smart glasses and what we see in them. How do you see the smart glasses lifting up society, improving society? And the same question for the brain-computer interfaces. I'm, that one's a little bit more obvious to me. So for the smart glasses, it's, it's functional. And this goes a little bit to the point of attention. As in, do we actually need more, more information more of the time than we currently do? You know, the classic thing is, all right, well, with smart glasses, you don't actually need to take your phone out of your pocket and pick it up and look at it. It's there all the time. And so some of that could be useful. All right, just simple stuff like navigation. Uh, one of, you know, the latest Google uh, glasses provide translation. So if you're speaking with somebody who's speaking a foreign language, you're not getting an audio translation, which is, you know, going to interrupt you. It's, it's, you can look them in the eye and at the same time read uh, what they are saying translated into your language. So that that's that's great. That is a way of uh, helping us connect. It's you know to have to be careful, you know, walking around on the streets for for again if we're looking at you know it might for example look up the sky and it can point out constellation to us. And of course, we've got apps to do that, but again, this is more clunky. We we can walk around in the streets. We have more context for. As tourists, you know, looking around, there's lots of ways in which these can be functional. And of course, many ways they can be interrupt us, service ads, 
too much, uh, all, all sorts of things which are which are undesirable. And uh, you know, this this starts to become, you know, what are what is our evolution as humans? And part of it is very much our evolution as humans is our relationship to information, which can be functional or dysfunctional. And so this is where the smart glasses thing, I think, will will lead to both, again, depending on how we use them. But, but the brain computer interfaces, I mean, as, as you said, it's the, the clear uh, value, immediate value, and you know, dramatic value is those, those are impaired in uh, whatever way, now have ways to be able to communicate, to engage, to control their lives, to, you know, give themselves independence. This is an incredible, incredible boon to, you know, what is a lot of people. As you were describing that, I was thinking, uh, thinking about performance enhancing drugs and steroids or human growth hormones where, you know, I, I've never used those things, but I know other people who are not athletes have used those things to put on more muscle mass and to get a competitive advantage or to feel better about themselves. And I was thinking, as you were describing the brain-computer interfaces, well, there are going to be people who, who do that, who don't have necessarily a brain injury or, or necessarily a need, as we might designate immediately. They're going to want to try these things to get some sort of competitive advantage or to augment their current cognitive abilities. As uh, unfortunately, so many of the things I talk about ours is a source of potential polarization, where we start to see some proportion of the population having uh, augmenting their intelligence with uh, external AI, and uh, being able to do their jobs better, being able to come up with ideas better, be able to run their business as businesses more effectively. And there will always be some probably pretty significant portion of the population will say, you know, for centuries to come, we'll just say, no, I'll, I'll never do it. Could be religious reasons, could be just like, look, what, what, I don't want to do it. So we will have a divide in society. And again, this will take some decades to play out. But yes, inevitably, there will be people who are not impaired who seek to uh, uh, augment their capabilities with uh, brain implants. And inevitably, for the indefinite future, there'll be plenty of people that don't. So that we will potentially have a forking of the human race. Ross, what is filling you with a sense of optimism these days? There's so many inspiring people doing incredible things. And more and more than ever, you know, just I think a larger and larger proportion of people who just dedicate their lives to to change, to, you know, to climate change, to uh, impact on their local communities, to doing things they believe will have a genuine impact. Um, you know, I don't, so I think that's the single most important thing. I also, it's the pace of the change in the shift of attitude to climate change in the last few years has been uh, pretty encouraging. Almost on a month by month basis. Yeah, it's really truly remarkable um, to watch that shift in attitude. Well, you just need to look at the weather. What's the weather's like to uh, to have your opinion shifted? It hasn't been already, but um, the challenge we face is extraordinary, and it's obviously not just you know not just in carbon emissions and all sorts of other factors. You know, we will have to relocate hundreds of millions of people. We will have to shift agricultural uh, frames, of course, shifting energy 
you know, there's a lot of technologies which are being developed. And so, but again, it's our attitude and, you know, the energy and the resources and the sort of things which are going into that, which, you know, which means, of course, you know, part of the context for that is that we do have an extraordinarily negative trend, but we also have the human response to it, which is critical. Ross, I've really enjoyed reconnecting with you. Thanks for your time today. And thank you again for being a genius. Thank you for listening to 12 Geniuses. And thank you again to the Star Conspiracy for sponsoring our Summertime Futures Friday series. We'll be back next week with another episode. Thank you to Richard, Jonathan, Jay, Tony, and the rest of the team at GL Pro in London for producing this show. To subscribe to 12 Geniuses, please go to 12geniuses.com. Thanks for listening, and thank you for being a genius.